gift. It had to do with size, but it was also the thing that you wanted the most. Now, if it was associated with the largest package, it was just the best of both worlds, right? It was the thing that you were just like, yes, I hope this comes. Uh, and so you're just kind of rooting for this. Um, but what I also have experienced over time, and some of this has come with just growing up into parenting, is that I've learned to love being able to give that gift. There's something, when, when you grow up, it, it was, you go from rooting for that gift to now I get to kind of be the giver of that gift. And so the question I have is where do you go for the biggest and the best to meet all of your shopping needs? Not that that helps you tonight, but maybe you can plan for next year. I have the answer, Sky Mall. Sky Mall Magazine. I mean, it is your one-stop <laughs> shopping for all of your shopping needs. You know, it's the, it's the little magazine, the, the, the catalog that sits in, your, uh, in the seat pocket in front of you on an every single airplane since the beginning of time. <laughs> Sky Mall Magazine. I mean, here's what I believe is true about Sky Mall Magazine. You can get someone something that they never even knew they wanted because they knew they didn't even know it existed. And so, I mean, nothing quite says the birth of Christ like, you know, a six-in-one multi-tool that are used by astronauts or, or something that you can have that is like an electric, you know, Q-tip that also doubles as a drone. Or it's the latest apparel instead of sporting like um, a, a sport coat, but it's, it's chainmail sport coat. I mean, you're like, I, I, didn't know, I, I, I didn't know that was a thing. But it is, and it's available at Sky Mall Magazine. So keep that in mind as you do your shopping. Um, what I've also said is I'm not sure what's harder, though. Giving the right gift or learning to receive a gift without trying to match it. I think when we stumble into Christmas, what we're trying to learn is to be able to actually receive a gift that we can't actually give anything towards. We just have to receive this birth, this gift, this child as unto us without trying to match it in some way. What we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks in this Christmas account is not so much a historical account. It's very easy to read into uh, the Christmas story as a, as a history book. Like, oh, 2,000 years later, let's remember what he did. And that's wonderful. But I would like to suggest that this is more about a than a static faith. It's a living hope. And so I've been intrigued by the idea that what happened there and then is also supposed to happen here and now. That their stories are also our stories. And so when we read into the Christmas story, I like to think of them as examples or maybe prototypes for Christian living. That we don't just get enamored with Joseph or Mary or the wise men that traveled so far, but we think, what is it about them that God has invited me to participate and activate a living faith? So what I'd like to suggest is that the nativity scene that we have, that, that we tried to keep all the pieces together, but if you think about all the players in the nativity, nativity scene, it's really a prototype for what the church is supposed to look like. It's interesting to think who was gathered at the nativity scene. You had Jews, you had Africans, you had Arabs, 
all coming together in celebration of the Christ child. God wanted his son to be for all creation, but it has become quite political and quite cultural. And this was never God's intent. And so when we go back to the original scene, when God was born into humanity, who was gathered and holding audience? And so I wanna just quickly look at a couple of prototypes tonight. If you look at the prototypes that are the wise men and the shepherds, a couple of interesting things about not only how God speaks to them, it's also how he speaks to us, and whom the message was for. God spoke to each of these, but in very different ways. If you read the account where the shepherds received this message, it was loud and clear. It was an angel that interrupted him by the campfire. And then this heavenly chorus started singing out. There would be no mistaking what they were to do next. They were told where to go and what to look for and who to find. Sometimes God speaks with incredible clarity, and I prefer that. <laughs> Do you not? Thank you for making it obvious, God. But then you have the wise men. The wise men got more or less a whisper, a nudge. They got a prompt of a star and they started following. The wise men, they were educated, they were privileged. They were willing to go and take a long journey from the east at great risk and at great cost, but to bring gifts. So you have two accounts of how God speaks. One subtle, one like a whisper, and the other obvious. God still speaks in both those ways. Sometimes God's calling, God's beckoning, his invitation feels like a nudge. It feels like a check in your spirit. It feels like a whisper. And other times, something large happens in your life that feels impactful. But then if you look at the two audiences that God chooses to reveal himself to, you think the shepherds were probably the lowest standing in the social structure of Jewish culture. They had no pull, no influence. And yet it says, and when God chose to reveal himself, goes and it says that they went into town and they began to proclaim. Now, if you are a marketing wizard, you're not thinking, I'm going to go to the lowest, least influential people in Jewish culture to say, tell them what you saw. But that's who God chooses, the people on the margins. But then he goes to the uninitiated and he goes to these people from the east and he reveals it to them too. They didn't grow up in Israel. They didn't grow up with Torah and the prophets, except that they had heard some prophecy, some rumblings about a coming king. And they began this pilgrimage to which I would say the great metaphor throughout all of scripture for faith is that of a journey. And there is something that all of us are on. And hopefully at some point in our journey, we get to encounter a living Christ, that he invites us unto himself and we get to say with our own will, I do to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's two other prototypes, things that we've already looked at, but I just want to highlight them again. Joseph. Joseph was a, high, a, a prototype, if you will, of when it said Emmanuel. God is with us. Because if you're Mary and you're a teenager, and you're not wed, and you get impregnated by the Holy Spirit, you are now possibly a candidate to be stoned. 
She said yes, saying, be as your will, I'm going to follow. But she couldn't do that alone. Joseph was this bit part in the larger story. We don't read much of Joseph after the first chapter or two of each gospel. But Joseph got to be the physical presence of God on earth to Mary. Source of comfort and strength. Provision and care. I believe this is a prototype for all of us that we get to be God in humanity in a broken earth and we get to be this sort of armed with justice and mercy and hope and love and care. But then we have Mary. <laughs> Mary who's impregnated with the Christ child, God within. Not just God with us, God within. And this is God's plan, God's desire for every person on earth that we would adopt and we would take in the living Christ. That God would seed in each of us his justice, his mercy, his care, his generosity, his hospitality, so that we could be light to the rest of the world. This was God's plan. So when we read this Christmas story, we have to understand this is way more than a history lesson. This is a prototype for heaven on earth. Eternity has already begun, but has not come to the full fruition. We get to be participants with God in this humanity. Let me share just one story as we close. I read this story and it captured me. It was a story about an affluent family living on the East Coast. And the, the, the father had lost his wife prematurely and so it was just him and his son. And they didn't really bond over sports, they bonded over art. They would visit museums and galleries. In fact, they had the means to start a pretty significant collection. And as the boy grew, he ended up getting drafted to which he went off to war and in battle lost his life. Well, you can imagine the dad, not only has he lost his wife, but he had now lost his son. And he's sitting in this large home with all of these beautiful images of great works of art that they've collected over the years. One day he gets a knock at his door by a soldier who had been with his son in battle. And he came to tell him the story um, and he shared how his son had given his own life in battle and that's why he was even alive to this day. And knowing his affection for art, he had painted him a portrait of his son. Well, at that point, you're not a critic. You're not evaluating the talent. You're cherishing it like a sentimental piece because this guy had been with your son right until his death. So he took this and he gave it a place of prominence. He put it over the fireplace on the mantle. It wasn't one of the most refined works, but it was a treasured work. And so he could enjoy it. He could stare at it. It would reminded him, and he enjoyed it until he died. And at his death, he had an estate auction. And there was an auctioneer that came in, and the auction was going to be on this renowned collection. And so art appreciators and collectors had gathered and the auctioneer did what the auctioneer does. He started it and was trying to drive up the prices. Now, the first piece he chose was the piece painted by the non-artist soldier of the sun. 
And he went off and he's trying to go and he kept lowering the price. And he was doing his thing and trying to call for a price. No one was bidding. In fact, they started saying, Would you just get onto it? Get to the other works. Those are the ones we're here for. Well, there was a family gardener, the guy who took care of the grounds for years and years and years, who didn't have much to pay, but he just raised his hand and says, $10, I'll give you $10 for it. To which the gavel fell and the auction ended. That's it. And everyone said, what are you talking about? Let's get to the rest of the works. He said, the stipulation of the will is that the one who buys the son gets the rest. If you get the son, you get everything. What Jesus says to us, take me, receive me. You get what I own. I own eternal life. No one else owns it. I own eternal life. And as you begin to own eternal life, you begin to start to understand your future. And when you understand your future, you begin to make sense over your purpose and what all you have means. That everything you have is a sacred trust. That when we find our lives in Christ, we begin circling around life in Him. When we put ourselves at the center of the universe, we are bound to be disappointed, to be disillusioned, to wonder and shake our fist, how could it be this way? To which God would say, that was never my intent. The world that you and I know as normal is not the world that God intended. It's the one he created, but not the one that he intended in the beginning and will restore when Christ comes again. See, what Christmas reminds us of is learning to receive without trying to match the gift. We just can't do it. And what Advent does for us as we light these candles, we're reminded that Christ came. But we have this progressive hope that's unfolding in the future and a living faith to be a part of God's solution, if not God's salvation on earth here and now. Give us eyes to see. We would say, Emmanuel, God be with us. God be in us. God be through us. Christ be around us. I pray that as we celebrate the birth of your son, we would also be mindful of his imminent return and that you, by your spirit, would invite us to say yes to your son. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, both now and forevermore. Amen.